It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Saturday, July 30th, 2022. I'm Jared Halper. Democrats, including Joe Manchin, have a deal on a major health care and climate change proposal. When Manchin says no to a Democratic policy, to a Biden policy, his numbers go up in West Virginia. And President Biden speaks again with China's leader with a potential high-profile visitor headed to Taiwan. I believe that the State Department and the Pentagon just don't want controversy. Um, So they would prefer that she not go to Taiwan. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. I doubt that adage was written to advise the United States Congress, but it can certainly apply. For more than a year, President Biden and most Democrats have tried and failed, tried again and failed again to put together a sweeping social spending package known as Build Back Better. Well, they may now have it. It certainly won't be the trillions of dollars once proposed with things like universal pre-K, tuition-free community college, and a federal paid family leave guarantee. But the newly named Inflation Reduction Act does hit two big goals for Democrats. It would allow Medicare to negotiate prescription drug prices and cap out-of-pocket expenses. And it would invest $369 billion in energy and climate change initiatives. Best of all, for Democrats, they plan to advance the measure using a process known as budget reconciliation. I know we've touched on that before, but a quick recap. Budget-specific legislation can be crafted in such a way that it is immune from a filibuster. In other words, the past, Democrats can rely on a simple majority. Every single Democrat in the Senate would have to vote yes. And that's why West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin was the linchpin here. For months, he has balked at big spending priorities, warning about inflation and debt. And as a West Virginia Democrat, he's never been a supporter of progressive solutions like the Green New Deal. So why is he on board with this? A plan that will spend hundreds of billions of dollars and raise taxes on some corporations. My friend Hoppy Kirchival has some thoughts on that matter. Hoppy hosts the daily talk line on Metro News, a statewide West Virginia radio network. He frequently hosts Senator Manchin, including an interview this week, the day after the agreement between Manchin and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was announced. Hoppy Kirchival then joined me for this conversation on one of the most important figures in the Senate. I was surprised in that I, I didn't hear the discussions were ongoing, so that surprised me. But then, upon reflection, I wasn't all that surprised because one thing you and I have talked about, and one thing I've come to know about Joe Manchin over the years, is he is always seeking a deal. He is a negotiator. And very rarely have I heard about him giving up on trying to get a deal. He's relentless. So I know much more about him than obviously about Senator Schumer. So it doesn't surprise me that Manchin just sort of stays with it, like that he just will not give up until everything is absolutely expired. So upon reflection, I'm not all that shocked that they came up with something at some point because Manchin is, at the end of the day, a dealmaker. 
I mean, I, there are certainly elements of this that, that Manchin has long supported, right? I think you and I have talked about he is supportive of this 15 percent uh, minimum corporate tax. He talked right. about that on your show that show me the companies that aren't paying any taxes and they should be right. Um, right. He has been supportive of the uh, prescription drug uh, reform, letting Medicare uh, directly negotiate these drug prices. He's been, we're getting, getting getting the weeds here, but he's been supportive of things like the carried interest loophole, sort of mm-hmm. those tax issues, right? What I think surprised a lot of us that, that cover the Hill is that he signed on to this energy security and climate change provision, $369 billion. And I know you asked him a lot of questions about that. If some of these uh, green energy supporters are saying, yes, this is a big win, is it bad for West Virginia coal producers? What was his response? What Manchin indicated, and again, this is what bills a thousand pages. I mean, you have to go through yeah. and see everything. It's is, a, yeah, it, yeah, whatever it is. I mean, I suspect, and we got some hints anyway, that there are a lot of things in there that are beneficial to or protective of the fossil fuel industry. And he certainly said that in the interview, whether it's tax credits or whether it's uh, some sort of proviso that this administration will kind of take its foot off the regulatory process for uh, whether it's drilling or pipelines or those kinds of things. So uh, it, it sounded to me like Manchin feels like he got a lot or enough out of this deal that is beneficial or protective of the fossil fuel industry. The other part of that, Jared, is, you know, Manchin has never been a climate change denier. And mm-hmm. he's, never, he's never denied that we're on this glide path to move away from fossil fuels uh, to to alternative fuels. He just doesn't want it done overnight, and he doesn't want the fossil fuel industry to suffer uh, dramatically in in that process. So I I think he's always been in on doing some climate change stuff as long as there was other stuff in there that was protective of or beneficial to fossil fuels. And also, I know he has talked about that he also did not feel that it was inflationary, right? He he said that he, I, I know initially his position was he was happy to talk about these other things, but he wanted to see what, uh, you know, what the inflation report looked like. I think it's notable that, that you know, this deal was announced a few hours before the, the GDP came out, showing a second consecutive quarter of, of negative growth. But do you see any sort of hypocrisy or, or sort of a flip-flop or that's, you know, in sort of what he has been saying for months and sort of what this deal does? Jared, here's what I see in that. The polls consistently show, as you well know, the number one 1A and 1B issue for Americans today is inflation. Mm-hmm. And so look at the reaction. The Democrats, I just heard President Biden speak, and Manchin said, like, this will help tamp down inflation. This is not inflationary. This mm-hmm. will be good uh, for, uh, to deal with the inflation issue. Whereas Republicans say, this is going to add to inflation, this is going to make inflation worse. I don't know. Yeah, well, we're not going to know, Hoppy, until this thing has yeah. long been yeah. law. <laughs> I, did, I, I don't know. I, you know I'm, not an econ, I'm not Milton Friedman, so I don't know whether it's good or bad inflation. I do know how each side is playing this, and right. I think that's driven by the fact that inflation is the number one issue. Is, does that make sense? It does. No, and I think, you know, obviously, you know, inflation is going to be in the eye of the beholder, right? And, and Manchin, I think, has pointed to these things like the health care costs, and that's going to be less, and, you know, right. that's going to help ease the burden for folks. Um, there's also revenue raisers in this, right? He does not believe that this is going to add to the deficit. Uh, he says it'll it'll bring the deficit down. Right. It's going to be, right. what, 300 and some... Yeah, because of some of the, the tax enforcement issues in it. Yeah, the tax enforcement um, and the additional tax on uh, on the corporations. Min- the minimum yeah. on corporations. Yeah. yeah. 
So let me finish with sort of the politics of West Virginia on this to, to sort of get a better understanding, I guess. Um, one, how has, you know, I know here in, in D.C. we have spent a lot of time talking about Senator Manchin and reconciliation and, and the Democrats' plans and, you know, is he helping the president's agenda or not? Like, that's been a big part of the debate. Is that something that, that West Virginians care about? And if so, is Senator Manchin sort of viewed as an honest broker here? Well, uh, no. And here's why. West Virginia, as you well know, is a conservative state. It's a red mm -hmm. state. Trump beat Biden by 40 points in West Virginia. When Manchin was saying no, when Manchin says no to a Democratic policy, to a Biden policy, to build back better, to Chuck Schumer, when he says no, I can tell you from phone calls and polling, his numbers go up in West Virginia. In fact, uh, a poll taken prior to this announcement showed that his approval rating is at 56 percent, uh, where Biden's is at like uh, 24 percent, which is not bad in a state that's a red state. He's a Democrat. However, as soon as he was on the show, I was deluged with texts from people who said, I thought Manchin was on our side, but he's a traitor. He turned his back. Now he showed his true colors. So there will be a negative political impact for him in, in West Virginia because of cutting this deal. I will say the the other side of that argument, at least from a Washington Democrat, uh, you know, Washington Democrats who I speak to will say, even with this deal, Senator Manchin said no to an awful lot. Right. Because Build Back Better initially was something like four trillion dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, nobody. I, I'm not, not say nobody, <laughs> but a lot of folks in West Virginia do not care about the nuance. Sure. Okay. No, I understand. I understand. So, I mean, what does this mean for? I mean, what does this mean for his political future? Well, he's not up until 2024. Right. Don't know yet if he's going to don't know if he's going to run. Yet. I don't think he's announced uh, if he's running again, has he? No, he has not. He has yeah. not. I mean, and maybe it depends on the time of day you talk to him. And candidly, <laughs> I'm not sure he cares that much. I mean, he cares certainly because he cares about what he is. I'm not sure he's not like, you know, I, I'm in the Senate, I've been governor, and I'm going to do what I think is right. And if it costs me, it costs me. I, I just don't think mm -hmm. he makes these decisions now based strictly on his political future. I think he's doing what he thinks is right and in the best interest of the country and his state. And I don't think he's worried that much about it. And also, he remains, this will hurt him politically in West Virginia, but still, everybody knows him, a lot of people like him, and he still remains a pretty popular politician in this state. Uh, you have uh, had great insight and, and great interviews with uh, Senator Manchin. I, I will say this, and I don't want to burst the bubble of West Virginia because you are a, a very important state, but now there's going to be a lot of attention turned to, to Senator Cinema and, and those Arizona talk show hosts. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Well then, well in the in the in the ever um, in the vacuum of the national media might be so. Uh, now the attention's on cinema. What does Manchin think? You know, <laughs> we'll so be, and you will be the first person I ask. <laughs> Listen, Hoppy, I appreciate uh, how often you uh, invite me onto your program, and I'm uh, so thrilled that you had an opportunity here to, to stop by this uh, little podcast as well. We'll talk soon. Well, Jared, uh, you always are great about coming on my show, and I appreciate it. It's always good to talk to you. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
Speaker Nancy Pelosi doesn't share her travel plans. Well, I don't ever talk about my travel because, as some of you know, it's a security issue. It's a security issue for every member of Congress traveling, especially abroad. So Speaker Pelosi has not said if she plans to visit Taiwan this upcoming week. That trip has long been speculated, though, and she had planned to travel there back in April, but canceled after testing positive for COVID. Pelosi has made her support known for Taiwan. China claims sovereignty over Taiwan and has increased military exercises around the island and the Chinese mainland. The U.S. officially has a one-China policy and no formal ties with Taiwan, a policy that is unchanged, President Biden said this week during a phone call with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Still, a potential visit from Pelosi to Taiwan is ratcheting up tensions. China's official channels have used bellicose language to warn against a visit. And in that call with President Biden, President Xi is reported to have warned about playing with fire. So why is it such a big deal for a U.S. lawmaker, in this case the Speaker of the House, to consider a stop in Taiwan? And what's the current status of the relationship between two global economic leaders, the U.S. and China? I talked about it with Gordon Chang, the author of several books on the Chinese government and its influence around the world. China's threats have been dire sounding, especially the readout from the Chinese foreign ministry explaining what Xi Jinping told President Biden. Mm -hmm. This playing with fire language indicates a couple things. Could be that the Chinese believe that President Biden is so weak that they can push him around. And of course, that's going to lead to very unfavorable outcomes. The other thing, though, is it could mean that Xi Jinping is plagued with such severe problems at home that he's got to lash out at somebody. And of course, the speaker's trip is a obvious target. But we got to remember, this is not about Taiwan. It's not about Pelosi. And the reason is that at this moment, we have Chinese troops deep into Indian-controlled territory in Ladakh and the Himalayas. This month, um, the Chinese were threatening to seize Second Thomas Shoal from the Philippines, so severe that the State Department has had to issue warnings about the use of force. Also, Chinese vessels were in Japanese sovereign territory in the East China Sea. Um, So China is lashing out, and any particular target could be the flashpoint. I know that the um, U.S. has sort of had this, I don't know, it's sort of this nebulous kind of relationship with Taiwan, right? The president in the readout with the call to to President Xi reiterated that the U.S. policy on Taiwan has not changed. Presumably that means that one China policy. At the same time, uh, you know, we continue to sell an awful lot of weapons systems to Taiwan. um, And it is still sort of, it seems concerning to the Pentagon, concerning maybe to even the State Department that that somebody like Speaker Pelosi, such a high-ranking official, uh, would take a move that would be seen as so provocative to China. Uh, Can you explain sort of all of those dynamics? I believe that the State Department and the Pentagon just don't want controversy. Um, So they would prefer that she not go to Taiwan. Um, But what we have here is just traditional American diplomacy of just trying to get through the next week um, without a problem. And the problem here with that approach is that the Chinese have made this a test of will. And if, in fact, she doesn't go, what we will be doing is legitimizing and emboldening the worst elements in the Chinese political system 
by showing everybody else in Beijing that intimidation tactics work, which means they'll be using intimidation tactics again. And we don't have to speculate about this because we've seen this dynamic in the past, most graphically with China's seizure of Scarborough Shoal in the South China Sea from the Philippines in early 2012. Then the Obama administration decided not to challenge China when it clearly had an obligation to do so. And by doing that, China then just ramped up the pressure on everybody. They then started reclaiming the features in the Spratly Islands. Um, they went after Second Thomas Shoal, and they went after the Senkakus in, the Philipp- in, in, in Japan. So we know how China operates, and that's why this has become so important. If we want to avoid the crisis of the future, which will be worse than this one, um, Speaker Pelosi has to go to Taiwan. Is the crisis of the future um, an invasion of Taiwan by China? It could be. Um, could be an invasion of Japan, could be an invasion of the Philippines, could be an invasion of India, could be taking even more territory from Bhutan, taking more territory from Nepal. Who knows where it could be? But we know that China, along its southern and eastern peripheries, is um, causing trouble and trying to break apart neighbors. Taiwan is only the most obvious of the flashpoints. There has to be at least a a diplomatic and in, in, in some point sort of good, you know, not frosty relationship between the United States and China, right? I mean, these are two uh, major economies, uh, probably fair to say superpowers in the world right now. I only agree with that statement if you're talking about a China which is democracy or at least not run by the Communist Party of China. As long as China is run by the Communist Party, relations will be frosty, they'll be tense, there could even be war. Um, The Chinese Communist Party believes the United States is an existential threat and it will not be secure until America is destroyed. We don't have to speculate about that either because we know that China declared a people's war on us in May 2019. And since then, we have seen some very malicious tactics that China has employed against the United States and which American presidents seem determined to ignore. But this is a fight to the finish. There's only going to be one survivor. It's going to be the United States of America or the People's Republic of China, not both. Does, you know, one of the things that at least didn't come up in the readouts that we saw in uh, in the calls between Xi and and Biden, at least uh, specifically, was this question of tariffs. Um, and I know that the Trump administration put these tariffs in place as they tried to negotiate a, a broader uh, trade agreement with China. Uh, the Biden administration has kept those tariffs in place because they argue that China has not upheld its end of the bargain that was negotiated. At the same time, as you know, Gordon, folks are paying a lot of money for a lot of things. Would this not bring down prices uh, for, for folks here in the U.S. Uh, if some of these tariffs were eased and lifted? No, it would not bring down prices. Sellers don't drop their prices when their costs decline. Sellers drop their prices when the demand for their products declines. Also, when these tariffs were put in place by President Trump in 2018, China absorbed about 80% of the cost of them. And they did that um, through subsidies to export-oriented factories and by currency manipulation. So, no, uh, basically waiving these tariffs, if it has any economic effect, it'll be to support the treasury of um, the Chinese government. 
Are the tariffs having an impact? Is it going to get it? Will it yield a, a better trade deal? Um, so far, no, um, because the Biden administration, like the Trump administration, did not um, employ our self-help provisions in this agreement. We have provisions where we can impose costs on China without China's consent. Neither the Trump nor the Biden administration has resorted to them. And so um, I don't think that this is going to have much of an effect on China's trade behavior. They violated this agreement. They have not met their purchase commitments. Um, they've fallen wide of the mark. And uh, right now, the Biden administration doesn't seem to care. What is the future of this relationship between Biden and, and Xi? You talk uh, sort of both of them have, uh, I guess, sort of domestic uh, issues uh, with, with leadership, right? Um, what, what's the future look like for, for that relationship? I know that they, they talk about having known each other a very long time. They've both been in their respective governments for, for a very long time. We um, can speculate on a few things. Um, we know that President Biden wants to meet with Xi Jinping, which could very well occur on the sidelines of the G20 in November in right. Indonesia. Right. Um, we know that we'll try and continue to talk to China. We know that China will continue to be very difficult. And this is a question pretty much, I think, that focuses on Biden. Um, the Chinese will be good to the United States. They'll be nice to us. They'll be friendly if they believe that Biden will be resolute and robust and will give them incentives to be friendly and nice. If they believe, as they currently do, that they can push around Biden, then there's going to be a lot of tension as they try to do that. Uh, the Chinese have, in general, over the course of decades, or let's say a decade, has believed that the United States is in terminal decline. And Biden has confirmed that with the debacle in Afghanistan, the failure to deter uh, Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. And the Chinese are now starting to think that they can get their way in Taiwan as the Biden administration will fall apart. I'm not saying that their perception is right. I think their perception is wrong. But the point is, what's important is what they think. And the thoughts that they have are very, very dangerous. I'll finish with this. What's Xi's future politically? He wants an unprecedented third term, which, if tradition holds, the Communist Party will hold its 20th National Congress in October or November of this year, in which that question will be decided. The Chinese political system has become less transparent over time. But the general um, consensus among China watchers is that Xi will get that third term and that perhaps um, his powers will be limited because Communist Party elders will put um, uh, people from other factions around him to box him in because Xi Jinping is generally perceived to be responsible for domestic uh, failures. So there's a real concern that he goes forward with unrestrained power. So there very well may be a lot more fighting as Xi Jinping seeks to remove those whom he doesn't like. It's a relationship certainly uh, worth uh, watching and, and being uh, highly attuned to. And Gordon, I appreciate your insights uh, into the relationship and, and at a time where it seems uh, uh, like that relationship may be at really a critical point. It is at a critical point. And thank you so much, Jared. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, as the U.S. entered a recession 
And does the definition change your views on the health of the economy? We'll talk about that. And Jessica Rosenthal gets you ready for a contentious primary race in Missouri that will have major implications for the U.S. Senate. Until then, I'm Jared Halpern. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.